Peace and love, peace and love. Welcome to the Universal Love Movement. This is your host, Dr. Carl S. Moore. And, you know, Universal Love Movement, inviting you to uh, be a universal loving vibration. The Y-O-U in the universe and L-U-V, the loving universal vibration. So, you know, today, speaking of being a loving universal vibration, we're, we're talking about people pleasing today. And people pleasing is, and I guess I'll call this one like memoirs of a people pleaser or a former people pleaser. I'm not sure. <laughs> but one of the things that uh, I've been told my whole life um, is that, or, you know, at certain bits and pieces is, oh, Carl, you just want people to like you. And, I'm, <laughs> and now <laughs> in my in my elder uh, older years, I'm, I'm like, yeah, of course, who doesn't want people to like them? And, or, you know, something like, oh, you just want to please people. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I don't I want people to be happy. But what's interesting is that, of course, on the surface, that makes sense. But we understand that now, you know, I understand that, you know, uh, a person being happy over my happiness or uh, uh, doing something in which uh, you are, you know, pleasing someone at the risk of your own self is as part of what some people are trying to promote. Yet, the understanding of what a people pleaser is, is very interesting because it's um, it's a Western construct. Um, it's one in which we view the, even to- the topic or the subject from a Western point of view. There's nothing wrong with Western society, it's great, but it's more individualistic, right? It's me versus, you know, the world or individualism, right? Where it's like, you know, I am a person and I have mine. And, but whereas some other worldviews, it's not saying it doesn't exist in pockets here in, in the Western world or in, in anything, but where it's collective is more, you know, I am because we are, or, you know, what I do for others, I do for myself. So, you know, I am, I understood, I understand this now because I started to, I've gone, I've gone on a journey <laughs> and the journey is interesting. So I'll tell you a little bit about my life story. I was I'm the second youngest of six children and I have a mother who, um, I mean, I guess you can also call her a people pleaser, which we'll come back to that late, a little later. So for me being the second youngest and being in a house full of, you know, uh, six, uh, children or, you know, five other children, um, my father was there until I was about 12, but then he, you know, he was one of those fathers who's missing, missing in action. So me being in a household with mother, sisters, and my brother left around that age as well. Being in the um, around when I was twelve, and I, him and him and my father were together. So I'm in a household. It's me with um, a little sister and older sister. So I'm thinking to myself, the best way to get <laughs> you know anything in life is to make sure that they're happy. You know, and it was interesting because it was shifting, right? As you know, with any human being, you know, especially you know what I experienced with my sisters was, you know, they weren't, you know, always happy. Their happiness wasn't dependent upon mine, but yet my goal was to get out of the way or contribute to happiness. And, uh, you know, I developed these muscles, um, even in, in school, I was the, you know, the happy person, you know, paying attention. And what's interesting is that, you know, the ways in which we're programmed as children is really important because there was a show that I watched when I was younger, uh, referred to as Romper Room. And uh, the the Romper Room show is, is interesting because there is a character. It's kind of like it was the Sesame Street for the 80s. I'm an 80s baby or whatever in a, the late 70s, early 80s. And it was 
there was a B, Doobie the Good B, right? So Doobie the Good B used to do what was good and he would get rewarded. So I'm watching the show and being programmed in such a way, which, you know, I'm okay with that programming. I'll keep that, um, <laughs> unprogram that as much. But the rewards, my name, they called me Doobie when I was younger, like Little Doobie. And I'm like, yes, am I your Good B, Mom? And she's like, yes, you're my good Little Doobie, right? So I developed these strong muscles for pleasing, right? doing what was uh, favorable in order to the stimulus and response to actually have a, a, a positive outcome. So in my, you know, my journey as a youngster, you know, in terms of people pleasing, I found that, you know, in school, it was great, you know, <laughs> teachers would always, you know, uh, it was more, it wasn't a rebellion. It was more of a, you know, okay, he's compliant. You know, I would, you know, act out just like any other kid at, at certain times, you know, so jokester at a certain point. And when I found, found my funny in fifth grade, you know, started joking around for a couple of years, but then it was more so like, okay, what do people want? Okay. And I it started to, to be this person that if everyone else was happy, I was happy. So my happiness was bound in their happiness. And it was great because people would ha- be happy. I would be happy. But what the interesting thing about it was that when people were not happy, I was not happy, right? And then, you know, as an adult, you know, growing into, you know, in college and as a professional, we'll get feedback sometimes. You just want people to like you or you're a people pleaser. And I was like, this is weird. I don't even understand what this means because who doesn't want people to be happy? You know, I was, I never, it, it never really clicked until, um, you know, I, I, you know, I would get it, you know, and then I would try to put a more stern, you know, even in supervision or, you know, staff or different things like that. I'll be more of a stern kind of like, okay, at, at times, because I couldn't, you know, I was always unapologetically me, happy and positive or whatever, but I'm like, okay, I'm going to just not, you know, please people. What? <laughs> and then it's like, okay, what's the opposite of what they want? So it was like a little bit of a weird thing. And to my mother transition, and my mother transitioned, she, um, in t- t- 2017, this is like going back to like, you know, the late 90s and, you know, early, you know, what is it in high school? Right. Um, And then or like mid 90s to and then, you know, when my mother transitioned, she her life was one in which she gave of her all to everyone because she loved everyone else to be happy. But I noticed a similar trait in myself that when others weren't happy, she it did, you know, she would be giving and then when others weren't happy, it would, it would uh, take a toll on her own emotional health. In fact, that we would, you know, I could say that some of her, you know, her health struggles near the end of her life were connected to her, you know, her inability or, or ability, or I guess I would say ability to love, but inability to deal with the non-reciprocal nature. So for me, after my mother transitioned, I was thinking to myself, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make sure that I'm just doing me and I'm going to, you know, and I went through a period of, um, you know, about a six to months to a year of, hey, I'm going to do me. And I wasn't like me at the cost of anyone else, but just unapologetically being me and doing me. Um, it felt good, felt freeing, felt liberating. So I started to think, wow, this is what people admit when they were, you know, thinking of talking about the people pleasing, because look what happens to, look what happened to your mother in terms of some of her health issues and the, the thankless nature of the world. And I started to understand myself as this person that's like, okay, doing me, you know, and it's been, it was like, 
the the time frame actually that was longer than six months a year it was almost about two years the time frame was one in which I understood what I wanted and what I like to do but there was this missing there was something missing it was this zest for life that was missing a little bit because even in doing me I was not as fulfilled as when uh, other individuals were were happy, and I'm like, where's the what is the middle ground? Then I developed it, which I'm really excited to share with you all. It's it was one in which I could I finally understood what I wanted to do. It was scary. I went on a vacation by myself, and I'm like, oh goodness, I've always been going on vacations with like you know um, a romantic interest or in whatever she would want to do at that moment. You know, I would want to do because if she was happy, I was happy. Happened with, happens with my life partner, and that's just who I am. But then I was I was actually reading something or was listening and we were talking and they were talking about worldviews and this concept of like self-care. Right. And how the Western world's concept of self-care is uh, more of like, hey, you take care of yourself and then you're good, which makes, which makes sense in an individualistic society. But I was thinking that even myself growing up, although I had to grow from some of that, my mentality or approach towards um you know, people was more of a collective. They're like, if everyone's happy and good, I'm good. So it wasn't exactly all wrong. It was just, it's a part of just the core of who I am. And in fact, some of my, um, you know, uh, ways of being in the new world or this newer post my mother's transitioning was one in which I was trying to really understand what it was to be a person that interacted with the world in my way, but then also not at a cost to myself. So the people pleasing thing I re- revisited recently, and um, yes, I'm an unapologetic people pleaser now because I love people to feel good, <laughs> and I love when people feel good because I feel good because I, I I think that because you we are I am because we are you know that whole saying. The only nuance which I could have been told earlier in my life, but it was just such so strong in the individualism, and and I think that that's that model works for some people. It's kind of like do you over them. And I love that model. And I'm not a, you know, a hater of that model. But my way of viewing the world or my choice of way of viewing the world is that, yes, 100%. I love pleasing people. Um, I know I'm not responsible for their pleasure, but, you know, I like adding to their happiness. And I 100% want people to like me 100%. <laughs> now, the thing about it is that I'm free of the suffering that would occur if they a person doesn't like me or isn't pleased because I'm not responsible for their emotions. And in addition, so these are just two easy pieces. I'm not responsible for their their happiness, although I could add to it or please them in whatever way. Then the second piece is I will 100% not do something for another that is at a detriment to myself. Now, in a collective worldview, it, it, there is there are tons of, you don't exist in a world where it's like a, you know, um, win-lose. It's always win-win. But there are some times where it's, you know, if you're doing that, it's going to be a detriment to yourself. Most case, In most cases, it's a shift of consciousness. But in the case of just really making this make sense within a Western world, how we're socialized, yeah. So, so the two things being like, you know, me making sure that and not even being so defensive, because sometimes the energy behind it is like, well, let me make sure that I'm not going to be. No, but recognizing and having a, an attention to loving myself, right? The universal love movement, the YOU, the me, um, loving myself enough to be able to feel if something doesn't feel right, right? 
and to not, if even if someone doesn't like me, so to speak, or whatever, to not be violent against myself or non-loving of myself because worrying and pain and stress around that is um, not love to yourself. So the all in all, I, I, I share this with you t- for those of you who may know someone who is a people pleaser or may be a recovering one or whatever. And I just think we can be unapologetically OK with um, because, you know, <laughs> the opposite of a people pleaser, which is like a person who just does what they want to do. This gets celebrated in our in, a, in our society like, hey, that person knows what they want and they don't care about anyone, blah, blah, blah. And sometimes that's promoted as if that's like the better way. And I think both ways are, are equally as, as should be equally valued. And but, you know, in our society, things can get kind of interesting. So when it comes to being a people pleaser, you know, there are there's there's much, you know, written um, on people, people pleasing and people, you know, I would suggest that you kind of, you know, look, look it up and start to think about, you know, people pleasing in a way uh, you know, I remember reading there was something that was like 10 signs you're people pleaser. And, and I'll, I'll cover some of them with you. It's like you pretend to agree with everyone. No, what if you have a, a mindset that can really try to understand and be objective, right? To understand where they're coming from. You don't have to agree because sometimes it could seem like that, right? But if in, 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 if deep down inside you're disagreeing and you don't, you, you know, it's a curious spirit of curiosity, you see, um, is one in which, you know, can be more helpful. Like, okay. I think this, but let me let me understand what you're saying. Oh, okay, but you don't have to, you know, agree, of course. But if you want to agree, that's fine. Um, you, but if it's at a risk of your own opinion being voiced, that's the thing, right? You feel responsible for how other people feel. That's what I mentioned to you early, to you all earlier in terms of like, you know, we're not responsible for how other people feel, right? And that is huge. That's huge. So that's that was one in which on this list, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. And the apologizing, I'm, um, you know, I think it's a natural you know, thing for people to say, okay, I'm sorry. But apologizing is interesting because, you know, you can feel, um, it's like regretting one's actions. You know, that's like I said, I'm unapologetic. So it's a, it's something that we have to recognize that we don't have to be sorry about being ourselves, Right. But we can honor the fact that we, you know, we're late or violated another person and recognize that. Right. So calling it out, um, you know, it's there are a number of different ones. And, you know, I think that losing the biggest thing is kind of like losing yourself um, in whatever it is. Right. You know, that you're dealing with or feeling like you have to reduce who you are to be around other people. Right. Or if your your identity is wrapped into what other people are. Now, that's an interesting one. Right. And that's the last one I'll cover, because if your identity, if you are I am because we are, that's that's important. But the more the we is greater if you have a distinct value towards the we. So what is your distinct, unique value? So it's not drowned out within because we're talking about a garden of we right with different colors of flowers and different compositions, a constellation and not just a very um, what do you call it? A very, uh, you know, um, homogeneous kind of way, but heterogeneous. Right. Well, um, so that's the you know that's the uh the the some of what i wanted to cover today i think the biggest takeaways for you all is the understanding that you can be (laughs) have a collective worldview you can want people to like you you could want people to feel good and it not be a a risk to yourself uh, as long as you're not losing yourself and loving yourself so 
This is the Universal Love Movement with your host, Dr. Carl S. Moore. I bid you adieu until next time. <laughs>